Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, everybody out there, and welcome to No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before with insight from some of the best in the business of reality television, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, game shows, and much more. From The Bachelor to Rhythm and Flow to Styling Hollywood and Summer House, if it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted television with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes among my credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who make unscripted TV, documentaries, true crime, and game shows not just something you watch or consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. We're going to twist, you know, switch things up just a little bit because obviously there's things going on in the world that are groundbreaking. Uh, the world is changing uh, right in front of our eyes. So I feel like we've got to talk about those sorts of things. I'll introduce my guests now and we'll talk about kind of race and reality television as well as all the change that's going on in our country, where it's going to go, how it's going to affect uh, what we do as storytellers. And um, and we'll go from there and see uh, see where the conversation takes us. First up, she is currently the co-executive producer on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. But most importantly, she hired me for my first house reality show was a wild TV series called Miss Rap Supreme, searching for the next great female rapper for VH1. She also started out as a news reporter right here in LA. Please welcome Jody Baskerville. Jody, thanks for being here. Of course. Hey, Steve. <laughs> All right. Next up, he is the CEO of his own production company, Kingdom Rain Entertainment. He's got shows like Styling Hollywood for Netflix and Love and Marriage Huntsville for Own on the Slate. Prior to that, he was the showrunner on The Real Housewives of Atlanta, among many other series. Please welcome Carlos King. Carlos, how you doing, buddy? Good. How's it going? Oh, I'm excited. We Next up, a talented producer and director who has worked on Rhythm and Flow for Netflix, Growing Up Hip Hop Atlanta for We, To Rome for Love on Bravo, and Chrisley Knows Best for USA. Please welcome Tiffany Mills. Tiffany, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm excited. All right, one more. One more, and then we can get started. I promise. All right, last but not least, <laughs> a very good friend of mine. Uh, she's become a terrific showrunner. She's got credits like Singapore Social for Netflix, Summer House for Bravo, and of course, Vanderpump Rules, who was in the news recently. We'll get into that in a bit. She also did two shows with me, The Rachel Zoe Project, and a very insane medical docuseries that we will never talk about again. Please say hi to Sun DeGroff. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Hi. All right. So four great people. All right. So let's just start with a pretty simple question and, and I'll kind of toss to each of you and then um, you can all talk. So for for each of you, what's been the most impactful moment or image or maybe the person over the past couple of weeks? And um, Jody, if you want to start, um, go for it. Well, clearly the video of, of George uh, Floyd was horrible. Uh, but I, I would say the most impactful uh, from from once that started airing was when the uh, the police department, the Minneapolis uh, police department was up in flames. Um, that really st- 
struck me because it reminded me of when I uh, uh, covered the riots in, in 92, um, that kind of out-of-control craziness. And Carlos, what about you? Two things. I think we are in a watershed moment when it comes to, you know, COVID appearing in our lives and getting us as busy people the opportunity to just look at life in a very different way and through a different lens and, and, and allowing very busy people to just globally take a reset and really figure out what's important in life. And because of that, I think when we look at what happened to George Floyd as a black man in the business, I definitely would say it was a watershed moment because I think it's an opportunity for everybody because they're at home sitting still due to COVID. It allows people to really understand you know, what's happening in the world as it relates to Black people. And, you know, seeing what's been happening in our industry, just, I feel like it's the first time that the entertainment industry is listening. And I'm curious how long it's going to last. But I definitely think those two moments are paramount in terms of what, what's been happening in the recent weeks that is, is sort of reshaping not only the world, but our industry too. Yeah, it would certainly seem that way. Tiffany, uh, uh, in your mind, what's been the most impactful moment or image? There's this video that's floating around the internet of George Floyd with his daughter, Gianna Floyd, on his neck. And she's like, my daddy's going to change the world. And he's literally doing that. You know what I mean? Um, I just think it was just it was just really powerful to hear her say that. and just out of the mouth of a child, you know, you don't, yeah. obviously she didn't know what she was saying and, and who knows the context of whatever was happening in that video. But I just, that just, I think about that every day. Yeah, for sure. When I see people marching in Berlin or Paris or, or wherever, this man, George Floyd, he's, he's changing the world. Yeah. I, I would say I, I, I've been really surprised that every day it feels like there's a different country that's having their own march or protest and it's not just a few people i mean you're talking thousands of people mm-hmm. what you're like you said like in germany or i think it was switzerland that i just saw and you're i'm just blown away by you know how much this has grown son what about you what really sticks out for you i mean there's been so many things that i feel like have really just gotten to me everything from the initial george floyd video to you know like i think a lot of the kids photos and videos get to me a lot too. I, I remember seeing one with a, you know, a little black boy who held up a sign that said, when do I go from cute to scary, you know? Yeah. Um, and just seeing so many people mm. contributing locally and globally, like everything like we were talking about, all the parades in Berlin and, you know, the protests and stuff like that. People are showing up and that's a huge thing. And LA showed up, you know, and that we live here, this is our town and that's beautiful to see. And, you know, I know that in South Korea, there's a whole K-pop, you know, Black Lives Matter movement through the K-pop group BTS, you know. So it's mm. it's just everything. There's just so many. I can't even pinpoint one thing because it's all of it. Yeah. So, Jody, I'm curious. You were reporting from in 1992 uh, down on the streets during the riots. Um, are there any similarities 
between that and what's happening now? Obviously, totally different in a lot of ways, but do you see any similarities? Well, you know, it's 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 crazy because I, I was watching a coverage um, of all the protests and some of them that you know went violent and and there were looters that reminded me of the 92 covering the 92 uh riots but there was a difference in 92 and i remember being in south central los angeles and i was with my cameraman and all the buildings up and down the street on either side of us were you know on fire and there were no police and no firefighters and people were running around crazy and they had guns and it was it was it was absolutely nuts um, I think the, the only thing similar to this is the anger, but what is different is in 92, the anger primarily came from black voices, uh, you know, w- you know, black, uh, protesters that you didn't see a lot of, a, a, a mixture, N- not like now the protests. Now they're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, everybody is outraged. And in 92, it was primarily, um, uh, black black voices were raised in outrage, and um, so yeah, it's it's crazy watching it because it it reminds me. But I just think that L.A. riots there was it was more violent, uh, it was more dangerous, um, and here it just seems like like people are listening, and there's actually going to be uh, some kind of change that might come out of this, and that that wasn't the case in '92, I don't think. Carlos, why do you feel like people are listening this time? I mean, obviously, several years ago you had. Eric Garner, you had Trayvon Martin, Orlando Castile, numerous incidents that enraged people, brought, you know, brought the attention, but it didn't stick. It didn't cause this level of action. Why do you think people are listening now? People are acting right now. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are at we are a part of a stay at home restriction and you're forced to deal with it. You're forced to stay at home, not go to work not go to the gym, you know, not be involved in these extracurricular activities, but you're forced to really sit still, watch the news, see what's on social media, and truly take in what's what's happening. And listen, it's been happening for so many years that I'm numb to it, to be honest with you, because this isn't new to me. Um, But I think it's new to everybody because everyone's forced to not just go about their nine to five and forget about it. You know, in the past yeah. it was, oh my God, this is crazy. We're going to protest today. And then tomorrow you went back to your, you know, regular schedule. But now that we're at home and you see protests lasting for two weeks on a daily basis, right? that's strictly because, you know, listen, I always tell people I'm so spiritual that the universe works in mysterious ways. And I think because we're at this stay-at-home restriction, it forces everybody to sit still, to really see what's going on, and to really ask yourself. I've had so many people who aren't Black reach out to me saying, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And I'm like, mm, you, you did <laughs> Like, this yeah. isn't new to me. But I think it's because right. everybody just sort of like turned a blind eye, yeah. went back to their daily schedule program, and forgot about it. But now that you can't forget about it and it's in your face, I I really hope that this truly goes on for as long as it needs to be, meaning the, the, the media attention on it, until we really do see change. Stop 
stop donating money to different causes and start employing black people in leadership positions to really make a, a real change? Well, you were asking like, you know, why, why do you think people are showing up now? And, you know, I, I agree with Carlos in that it's in their face, in their faces. But I also think a large part of it is that, you know, people want to be seen. And as, as important as this movement is, it has um, unfortunately become just a hashtag to some people. So there, there are a lot of people out there posing for the gram at these protests. They could care less about the cause, the real cause of this. And, you know, I was here in 1992. I was 11, 12 years old when the riots were in L.A. It was in my neighborhood, you know, the neighborhood where my family still lives. And there are things that have not been repaired since then. So, you know, it it is like, how long is this going to last? Like, how long are people going to care? Protests in, like, the civil rights era went on for months. So this is nothing. This is like just a few days. We're we're talking about years of, you know, systematic oppression, years of fear of, of black people just leaving their homes. Like, you know, and, and I do appreciate the artists in this movement because we do see, you know, these stories being told in different ways on social media, you know, be it through animation or cool TikTok videos that are really educating the masses and that I believe it's drawing people to want to get involved. However, it's the people that are showing up that are doing it for the attention that concern me, that will fall back right into what we were already, you know, doing. My last protest was 2016 and I was, I was so disenchanted because I'm like, nothing is changing. So why am I coming out here doing this? Like they kill the people, they know the people are going to show up and sing in March. And then we go back to what we've been doing. And it's been like that for decades. How do we keep that momentum going, uh, in your opinion? You know, I'm not sure. I think a lot of it is really having the honest conversation. Um, um, I think it's going to take a lot of white allies to help dismantle this because it is all, it's, it's so like embedded in the thread of how the world moves, um, to keep specifically black people in a certain space that it's just in our everyday lives we don't even think about it and and black people too we sort of keep ourselves there but i think you're gonna always find the young people at the marches that's who was at the marches in the 60s was the young people because you know they're tired of the shit like they don't they don't they know that this living is wrong like if you go visit cuba it's like it's the same thing it's the young people that are in the streets and that are fighting for change um to connect with the rest of the world because they know that that, that old way doesn't serve them. And so um, I, I think it's going to take that, but a lot of it is really going to start in the households of people having those very, very uncomfortable conversations. And, and it's okay. Like just, you know, if you, if you happen to realize you're a racist, guess what? You did the first step. You, you realized it. Now admit it to yourself. Now let's figure out how to get past that. Like it is all good. You know, we know we on the outside, we know we feel it. Now that you have arrived to this, let's work on it. (laughs) Sounds like, it sounds like like an SNL skit, but yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's turn a little bit, turn the attention a little bit to our industry, to unscripted um, and kind of race in reality. 
Carlos, you've got uh, some great shows uh, underneath your, you know, underneath Kingdom Reign, like Styling Hollywood, Love and Marriage Huntsville. Um, you know, Styling Hollywood's unique in that, you know, it's a, it's a gay couple that, you know, styles celebrities. Mm-hmm. And then Love and Marriage Huntsville, you're looking at black relationships. I started the company in 2013 because I, for, for two reasons. Number one, I felt that the, the images that you saw on a few of these African-American ensemble shows were very one note um, in a very specific area with a very specific black woman who led a very specific life. And I felt that I could, I could complain all day or I could be somebody who is of change and create a company that puts his money where you know my mouth is. And that's what I did with the company. Um, and secondly, you know, when you look at these African-American ensemble shows, what a lot of people don't know is, you know, let's talk about Atlanta Housewives, for example. I was just a showrunner on the show. But that show was produced by a white male-owned production company. And 99.9% of all African-American-based ensemble reality shows are created and developed by white men who own these companies. And it's hard as a Black showrunner to be able to tell a story if I'm not at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the project. So when I started the company, it was definitely, you know, my mission to show a very different side of Black people that I felt like wasn't getting the representation on television. So when you look at Styling Hollywood on Netflix, it is on purpose that it's a show about Black gay men who are married and they are a part of the A-list world in Hollywood, being a celebrity stylist and celebrity interior designer who works with everybody from Gabrielle Union to Ava DuVernay to Janet Mock, um, you know, to, to be able to show gay Black boys and, you know, people my, not only Black community, but the LGBTQ plus community, was to show kids that there, there are someone in this world who is gay and they're loud and they're Black and they're proud and they're doing amazing things. and they're a part of this, you know, subculture that you just don't hear about. So, you know, the company was definitely created with that in mind. And as I continue to, you know, have more accomplishments in my career, because even now I'm now a full service production company. And, you know, it's still unfortunately a tough road for me where, you know, if I pitch a project, there's some networks, not all, who's like, oh, well, you know, can you partner with a bigger company? And I'm like, sure. well, I am the bigger company. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you trying <laughs> to say? Um, I'm full service. So, okay, yeah. you know, I, 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 yes. I think, um, you know, I think of course. we, again, we have to be able to, again, just stand up for ourselves, regardless of race and, you know, and just show these networks that, you could be a showrunner turned company owner and still have the same success as your predecessors. Uh, son, you had a, a very interesting experience. You had to do a show, a very difficult task, Singapore Social um, for Netflix. Um, you know, you went to Singapore. It was kind of a, you know, docu-soap. Um, but you, it's not like you brought 
a bunch of young Americans to Singapore. It was an all local cast. Um, tell me, tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, first and foremost, I signed on to the show because you know I really there's not a lot of Asian representation in the media and in entertainment, especially in reality. So this was, you know, breaking historical ground a little bit where it was like the first reality show that was, you know, on a major platform going global. So the fact that we were able to, you know, not bring cast members there on like a trip or something like that, it's like we're we're filming with locals. I brought some crew with us too. So, you know, we also had to assimilate into the Singaporean culture and um it was easy in the terms of like everyone speaks English there and stuff like that, but you know, producing Asians are it's a difficult task because it's just not how, you know, especially in reality show on reality shows, you're you know, you have to open up, talk about your issues, and Asians just aren't conditioned to talk about their issues or problems. So it was very hard to get them to open up. Um, but even and then when we did, you know, we really did get them to open up as much as they could. Um, and there was a lot of tears and a lot of like, you know, things that they had to, con- they've never confronted, like within themselves, within their families, all that stuff. You know, for some people, it's too soft. And for some people, they weren't ready for it. Like Singapore was not ready for that. You know, I think that we all know there's racism everywhere as there's of course racism in asia there's racism within countries and singapore is a multicultural country so they had a problem that we focused on you know the more rich people there um which you know the were that we're talking and filming with the middle class you know and crazy rich asians Mm -hmm. was you know a huge success but you know singapore People in Singapore hated it because it only showed privileged Chinese. So it's hard. I I feel like when it comes to race, like there's just so many factors. I don't know if you guys saw it, but Paramount Network has announced they are canceling cops after. Yeah, I did see that. 30, yes. Yes. (laughs) 30 years. Yes. So Jody, in your opinion, is this a good thing? Is this, should this have happened a long time ago? You know, What's the legacy uh, of a show like Cops? I have my own opinion, but I'm curious to hear yours. Well, my my problem with a show like Cops or, you know, cop shows, that reality TV shows, I always ask myself, would that police officer have acted that way if a camera wasn't pointed in his direction? Would he have to, you know, would he have done that? Would he have been so heavy-handed throwing that person to the ground? And predominantly in the, the lead story or the lead, you know, thing that they would follow, it was African-Americans um, yes. would be featured as, you know, uh, just in a terrible light and, and, and time and time and time again. And I just think it, it, that type of a show feeds into all the wrong reasons uh, for a free reality TV. And I just think some of the bad behavior uh, that was displayed by cops it was encouraged. I, I, I just, I never liked those I shows. I totally agree. And, it, yeah. you know, it was always, you know, in the poorest neighborhood, you know, people of color, you know, out of control, you know, and here comes the big cup. You know, it just, it really, it really just disgusts me. I, I never, I didn't like that show. And, you know, I mean, I even mean, the, just the theme song, Bad Boys, Bad Boys, you're literally yeah. assuming that these people are guilty <laughs> yeah. from the beginning, from yeah. the jump, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it really presented an ugly image of the black community for years. And if you think about yeah. it, it's been on for 30 years. years so. Yeah. We didn't even realize yeah. that we've been fed these negative in- images all this time. <laughs> Just in our exactly. regular. Yeah. And language. I agree. I think shows like that, like promoting bad behavior for entertainment uh-huh. is exactly what's wrong within our industry. It does not hold anyone accountable. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. I, I mean, totally I, agree. reality TV has certainly had some racial controversies. Vanderpump Rules um, was hit with. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. What is it, son? Four people? Four cast members? Four people. Mm-hmm. Uh, four of them, yes. Four of them have gotten the boot. Two of two of them are huge characters, Stassi Schroeder and Kristen. Um, and I mean, it's, you know, I mean, son, you worked on the show for several seasons. Is this going to destroy that show? You know what? I'm I'm not sure. You know, uh, I think the show is heading into its ninth season. I worked on seasons one through four, um, so I was there in the beginning. Um, it very well could. It very well could. It definitely leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth, of course. And you know, I think that the girls are very ashamed and you know, upset that all this is happening. And, you know, they, of course, regret their actions. But, you know, I think they also realize that they are privileged and they didn't see how they were behaving before. And I only had wished, and I told them this too, I texted them, like, I wish that, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement had caught up to the world sooner so that people would think twice about their actions. But I guess they now will. And I'm sure you guys all heard about the Gabrielle Union um, battle with America's Got Talent and NBC. Um, you know, she was, you know, did one season, which obviously that show is a juggernaut for NBC. So the ratings were good, but then she was she was let go along with Julianne Huff. And um, so, you know, NBC and Fremantle did their investigation, found that there was no um, no sense of racism. She had made some. Uh, complaints about uh, an incident with Jay Leno backstage, as well as some uh, complaints about Simon Cal. You know, have you experienced racial tensions, whether it's with talent or whether it's with crew? Have you guys had run-ins? I mean, we can start, Tiffany, if you want to start. Yeah, I, I've definitely had um, incidents at work um, for most of my gigs, honestly. Um, and I find it the the higher I go, too. You know, when I have to deal with uh, network executives, I run into a lot of inappropriate language and things like that. But as far as the Gabrielle Union stuff, I'm I'm just wondering how one even does an investigation on something like that. And then to say we didn't find anything. Well, would you find anything like I don't I don't understand how something like that works. You know, it's the same as, you know, if someone had accused made an accusation of sexual harassment or or something like that. Like, are we just not going to take the victim's word for it, you know, like, and, and discredit her? I just think that that whole situation with Gabrielle Union is a mess, honestly. But, um, you know, racism, I think it just comes with just living. You know what I mean? We run into it at work. We can run into it at the grocery store. We can run into it, you know, parking our car outside of our house. Um, so, and and when it shows up at work, it is very unfortunate, you Mm -hmm. know, 
Um, I, 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 a lot of times I find myself, if I'm on location and I have white male PAs, like when we're entering a location or something like that, they will always be approached by maybe the owner of the location or something like that asking, so what, what is it that you're doing here? Or, uh-huh. you know, coming up to them to shake their hand to find out all of the information needed for, you know, the shoot. And I, and I just stand there <laughs> kindly and uh-huh. I just wait, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, because you don't have the time to let me correct you. You know, it's, it's not, it's not about that every time you want people to recognize that in themselves. And so that's what I mean by like, it is going to take a lot of work because it is so just like embedded in, in us as humans in this world. Cause I'm not just going to say Americans because it is a global issue. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to take a lot of work. Carlos, what about you? Have you seen, have you experienced, or have you seen racism or racial issues? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, it's similar to what Tiffany said. The, the higher you get in these positions, the more you see it. Even when it's subtle, you know, a lot of people equate racism with hearing the N-word, um, which is a, obviously more overt. But you, you experience, right. yeah, in various ways. You know, listen, again, um, black man trying to produce a show but then you have to answer to you know the production company that hired you and they say things that are inappropriate and because it's happening at work you're and i think anybody can relate to this you're so focused on the, on the task at hand you don't have time to really you know try to handle it because you already know it's a domino effect right and i think as a black person we always sort of like get stopped in our tracks and we're like, mm, was that, hmm, should I say something? Should, should I not say something? Is it worth saying anything? You know, we, we ask ourselves those questions before we even proceed because we go through Your whole job scenarios. is on the line sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The way, the way a lot of women feel when they're harassed sexually, you know, what, you know, they, I've read a lot of accounts of women who were harassed and they always say they're afraid they may get fired or their jobs on the line. Mm -hmm. And as a black person, you you feel that way. But it's definitely more subtle. It's again, it's when you are pitching to a network, like I said earlier, they want you to partner with a bigger company. And it's like, well, there's not a bigger black company. So what does that mean? Are you saying a white established production company? So there's there's certain words that are used that you sort of understand that a lot of it has to do with your with your race and the the higher you climb, I think in every job you have, you get to experience it more, but it's definitely more subtle um, as you grow higher in some cases. I want to ask you guys about casting because casting is one of those areas where you're constantly you constantly hear we want diversity. Is that real? Do you think that, that networks mean that when they say we want diverse casting? Or is that just, you know, is that something that's just, they, they throw that around and they don't really mean that? I think like they, they're what they want is wow. <laughs> You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They, they want high ratings. And if they, they are going to pick a cast that they feel can get them those kind of ratings. And, you know, you, you know it, it, right or wrong, that I think that has more to do with it than anything else in, in my experience through many production companies I've worked for. It's just, you know, and, and plus it's like, there's so many layers of people and voices that go into casting. 
It's like, it's not just like, oh yeah, this person's great. Let's cast them. It's not like that. There's layers upon layers upon layers that have to sign off on any cast member. So, um, you know, when you've got all those different voices and you're looking at your bottom line, you know, sometimes it's interesting how it ends up. All right, cool. I want to just turn now to kind of, you know, where we're all headed right now in terms of, you know, we're all still kind of like feeling out what's going to, what production is going to look like. Um, Carlos, obviously you've got a couple shows that, um, you know, you, you, you're trying to get up and running. How are you adjusting um, with the new guidelines um, due to COVID-19? How are you, are you getting ready to get things up and running? Yeah, well, for us, we are in heavy discussions with the network because every network has their different sort of mandate to make everyone feel comfortable getting back to work. And then obviously we're following things by the state. So I have a show in Alabama and we're looking at the Alabama um, sort of restrictions and what's lifted and speaking to the network about, you know, things like that. I have another show in the South. So for me, a lot of it is, is truly looking at what sort of the restrictions are that that particular state may have. And then speaking to the network about how everybody feels comfortable moving forward um, during the initial pandemic we were in the middle of a show and post and thankfully we were able to provide gear to our editors and story producers to work from home um, and that has been obviously very helpful to be able to still manage that um, and still being able to produce shows and, and and still sort of, you know, make these episodes deadline. And in some cases, we have to do remote interviews, which was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'll say this much. I'm, you know, the silver lining in all of this is that the pandemic happened in 2020. So technology is way more advanced than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. So again, we were able to sort of, go with the flow in some cases. Again, I don't do those big studio shows, which I know is a lot of issues with that, considering a lot of its audience and being close together. So I think in the docu-series world, it's finding that happy medium to where you don't have to do big, large events anymore and sort of scaling it back depending on the state. So, yeah. Well, speaking of studio shows, I'll go to Tiffany next. Rhythm and Flow was greenlit for a second season. Have, what have you heard about that? And how, how do you guys get that show back up and running? You know, um, I so far, the talk is that we are going to push, obviously, um, into the next year because it is an audience show, you yeah. know, and and that's such a big part of that show, the performances. And we don't want to lose that element. Sure. Um, but, you know, just figuring it out because if we get to 2021 and we're still unable to do it, <laughs> then we'll have to figure it out from there. I hope that um, COVID is not the end of big stage audience shows. Oh, uh, yes, uh, it won't be. But yes, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> I mean, I know it won't. And I'll, I'll, my, my whole thing is, and I, I'm curious what you guys think, but like when you see other people, when you hear about other people trying to film or even when you see other people on camera not wearing masks, right? Um, does it make you think that maybe you're being a little um, overly cautious or does it make, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I thought that I was the only one still in quarantine, by the way. Like <laughs> when I go out to the grocery store and I'm like, the, the, the patios are open. People are drinking on the patio and it's like a regular day. And I'm like, am I, did I not get the memo? Like, am I the only one still in quarantine? <laughs> what is happening? Uh, I think I am. No, I, I'm in semi-quarantine. I'm in semi-quarantine. Um, I, I broke, I broke, I broke out. I broke out. I had to break out. I think a lot of people broke out after the recent protests, you know, yes. and continued to, yeah. and that was like the reason to go out and be like, all right, there's, you know, a bigger problem out there. Yeah. 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 Um, Jody, I know you're not allowed to tell us anything about Bachelor Bachelorette, but obviously that's a show you have a big crew and a big cast. There's lots of making out. What can yeah. you tell? What can you tell us about? You know, any sort of discussions about how do you, how do you possibly do that in, in a COVID world? Well, well, we were we were right. We were ready to start shooting um, first week of March. We were in fact we were just ready to go to the mansion and start shooting when the, everything was paused. The production was paused, and we're not. We're still not up and running. But it's going to. I mean, it's going to be a very different world. I think than 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 what it normally looks like. And and it's it's gonna be a lot of voices uh deciding what that's gonna look like. I mean, yeah. will it go on? Of course it will. Sure. But um but it's gonna it's gonna be I think dramatically different um as far as the way we, we go about producing the show. But I mean it's that's that's to me that's a challenge and I'm looking forward to it. I'm you know, I just think it's uh I, I you know what I the hardest part about this whole thing is just having to work from home and not being in the office and being in the edit bay. Yeah. It's, it's tough, you know? And, but I mean, it'll, the show will go on, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. I want to just kind of finish it up going back to kind of the original topic and just, um, you know, what, where do we go from here in terms of this discussion? You know, I mean, obviously for me, like I looked in November and um, I looked in November when, with the election and, and I hope that the momentum and the excitement, um, that we have right now that everybody who's out there marching goes and votes. And there's a lot of GOP senators who are up, uh, you know, who, who are on the ballot and, you know, to get a lot of those people out would be very beneficial to this movement. Um, so that for me, that's what I hope, uh, you know, happens. What, what is it for, for, for each of you that you think, um, you know, where, where do you think this movement goes? Um, and, um, Carlos, if you want to start. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I hope it, it it lasts minimum until November. You know, um, I really hope that all of this just means that the younger people are going to register to vote. I hope that they actually exercise their right to vote. I hope that there's changes made in police departments. I hope what's been happening changes the world in terms of laws, in terms of you know, if you're alive and breathing, I consider you privileged because we're able to, you know, live this life that we live. So I hope that even with COVID that we were all able to sort of look back and say, wow, was were, were these things really that important? And as somebody, and Tiffany knows this, I'm a little bit vain. So for me, it's this is no, small stuff. Uh, no, that's not I know, you, shocker, not shocker. <laughs> but no, it's, it's the small things for me where I'm like, 
even buying things, like a lot of things that I cared about prior to this pandemic, I really don't care about anymore. And, you know, like I said, I hope this is a watershed moment that changes us forever. And I'm, I'm hopeful and prayerful, most importantly, that, you know, a change is going to come. Absolutely. Uh, Tiffany, what about you? Um, I, I just want people to not be afraid to have the uncomfortable conversations with their loved ones. Um, because I really believe that the change starts like within, and that includes like in our inner circles as well. Um, you know, and show compassion, like show up every day and just be a compassionate person. And you'll find that the changes will happen. Like we have to stick to it. This energy that we have right now, we have to move forward with this energy. We can't just like let it die out and obviously vote. Please read the policies, like know what you're voting for. It's not like an old school Scantron test. Make sure you understand what you're saying yes to, what you're saying no to, who you're electing, what their history is. It's not just about the president, but it is about the local elections and the policies. Very and true. that's what I said. And as producers, you know, yeah. we bring that same energy to our set, yep. to our cast, to our crew, bring that same energy. It's the first time I've heard Scantron in a long time. <laughs> You just, you just brought back some really bad memories. Um, yeah, I'm trying to paint a picture for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Uh, Jody, what about you? Where, where do you, what do you hope, uh, what do you hope comes next with this movement? Well, you know, I think, I mean, the response has been gratifying to see that people are out there and voicing their, their outrage. But I just hope that people, you know, actions speak louder than words and you can't just let it die down. You have to hey, go out and vote. You have to do something. And, that, and the only way you're going to make change is to vote. And, and that's, that's what I hope comes out of it because it, we're in such an instant gratification society like, oh yeah, then the next thing. And then what's going on now? The next thing. I hope people just don't go on to the next thing. I hope that they you know, they take this outrage and, and put it into action and, and actually vote. That's what I hope. Definitely. And son, finish us off. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, I, I hope we really do keep the momentum up, you know. I think that we need to continue to hold people accountable. I think that's absolutely necessary. Um, and everyone around us, coworkers, you know, within our homes, um, and that we can keep encouraging people to, to speak up, you know, and definitely vote, 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 you know, 100%. Well, look, thank you all four of you. I know that you're both, you're all four of you are super busy. So I appreciate your time and especially your insight. Um, this was a great conversation. So thank you, Carlos, son, Tiffany, Jody. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now for everybody listening, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and download and rate it. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. Once again, please remember to subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. You can also write a question if you have one, and then I'll answer it on the show. My email is no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, 
please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for the studio hookup. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.